The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, over airwaves at WBUR 90.9 FM, over internet signals at WBUR.org, and on the podcast at bu.edu chapel. We gather from the north and from the south, from the east and from the west, on this Independence Day weekend in the praise of God and in the presence of God. Our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, sends his regards as he is away in the coming weeks. I am Brother Larry Whitney, the University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel and the preacher and celebrant of the day. We encourage you to stay following the service today for a 4th of July barbecue on the lawn next to the chapel. Let us stand as we are able in the praise of God.
Let us pray. O God, you have taught us to keep all your commandments by loving you and our neighbor. Grant us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may be devoted to you with our whole heart and united to one another with pure affection. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from the prophet Zechariah, chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 7, verses 15 through 25a. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. read responsibly verses from Psalm 145 with the antiphon. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his compassion is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your faithful shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. To make known to all people your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his deeds. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel.
Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew, chapter 11, verses 16 through 19 and 25 through 30. Glory to you, O Lord. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like, a chi- it is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. It is good to begin in a spirit of gratitude, and so once again it is incumbent upon me to begin this sermon with a word of gratitude to Dean Hill for his gracious offering of a preaching series in the late spring and summer of 2011. Yes, whether you like it or not, you have managed to arrive in the nave of Marsh Chapel for the final installment of Brother Larry's 2011 Secular Holiday Preaching Series. Some of you may remember when we began back in May on Mother's Day, and then a few weeks later continued on Memorial Day. And now, here we are, once again, this time on Independence Day weekend, at the conclusion of the series. For those who, at the conclusion of this hour, will have withstood all three installments, you have my sincerest condolences. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Holy God, holy and mighty, holy and eternal, have mercy on us this day that we may come to live freely, humbly, and honestly in the communion of your most Holy Spirit, in whose unity you dwell with Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As parts of speech go, adverbs tend to fall at the, well, okay, but only if we must, end of the spectrum. To be honest, the trendiest part of aspect of grammar these days is punctuation. As evidenced by the passionate debates on Twitter in the past few days about the use of the Oxford comma. The bedrock of grammar, of course, is the noun. Nouns have substance. We can see, hear, taste, touch, and smell their reference. 
Verbs help us talk about what nouns do. And adjectives help us distinguish the blue nouns from the red nouns. All adverbs do is qualify the manner in which nouns do the things their attendant verbs indicate. We even go out of our way to avoid adverbs. After hearing a politician or a preacher, we are likely to say, well, that was a stupid thing for him to say, as opposed to saying, she spoke stupidly. It is little wonder, then, that so many in our time struggle to find their spiritual voice, since religious and spiritual life dwells in the land of the adverb. To be religious or to be spiritual is to be concerned with the manner in which life is lived. Life is the noun, live is the verb, and the manner in which life is lived is expressed adverbially. The reality of the adverbial nature of religiosity and spirituality is found in our gospel reading this morning. In the first half of the pericope, Jesus is frustrated by the lack of understanding of the ministries he and John the Baptist undertook. This lack of understanding is situated in the focused placed upon particular actions, or inactions, undertaken by Jesus and John, namely, eating and drinking. Then, the members of the generation Jesus critiques ascribes particular connotations to the states of being of Jesus and John, respectively, based on those actions or inactions. The members of the generation observe the verbs and then classify the nouns according to those observations. In the second half of the pericope, Jesus indicates that the generation has missed the point and that what is really important is hidden from them. Later in the pericope, Jesus says, Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. We may ask, what makes people weary? Too much activity. Too many verbs. And those carrying heavy burdens have too many nouns, or too much of a given noun. When we learn from Jesus, we come to understand that it is not about how many activities we can undertake or how much we can carry. It is not about nouns and verbs. It is about the manner in which we do whatever we undertake. To follow Jesus is to learn to live adverbially. Not that adverbs are easier than nouns and verbs, just lighter and less frantic. No, the challenge of living adverbially is garnering the focus of attention required. There are many adverbs in religious and spiritual life. On this Independence Day weekend, we will consider three. Freely, humbly, and honestly. First, and the adverb most closely keyed to the holiday, freely. The notion of living freely as a spiritual manner of life flies directly in the face of how moderns, Westerns, and particularly we in the United States 
generally think about what it means to be free. Most often, we speak of freedom, a noun, a substance. Freedom is something we have as a possession, and one of the reasons we celebrate Independence Day is to celebrate the substance of freedom that was won as a possession in the wake of the colonies declaring independence and fighting the Revolutionary War. It is a bit odd to think of freedom as a substance. After all, have you ever tried to put freedom in a bag and carry it down the street? Can you walk up to a street vendor and say, I'll have a large cup of freedom with sprinkles on top? Admittedly, for a time, you could order freedom fries and freedom toast from restaurants and snack bars run by the United States House of Representatives. But that is a whole other story and a whole other sermon. No, the modern Western concept of freedom is not a noun like book is a noun, namely something you could carry down the street with you. Instead, most often what we mean by freedom in the modern West is both the capacity to act as we choose or desire, and the lack of impediment or constraint resulting from the actions of others. This double concept of freedom is epitomized in Isaiah Berlin's lecture, Two Concepts of Liter Liberty, in which he distinguishes freedom to and freedom from. Of course, the two may conflict. After all, every action I undertake may impede the actions of another or constrain them from acting at all. If I hold a large rock concert on Marsh Plaza in the middle of a Thursday afternoon, this will likely impede the ability of scholars in the College of Arts and Sciences, the Law School, and the School of Theology from being very productive, and will be a significant distraction to students studying there, to say nothing of the chapel choir rehearsing in the nave here in Marsh Chapel. My freedom to hold the concert runs counter to the freedom of others from distraction. The conflict between freedom from and freedom to and various approaches to managing the conflict is the source of much of the political, legal, and social controversies of our time. Our religious and spiritual traditions, however, teach us that to be free is not to possess the substance freedom, but rather to live freely. To live freely is to cultivate the capacity to behave in ways that avoid the turn to the frenetic and overburdened. As St. Paul tells it in our reading from Romans, to live freely is to live in concert among head, heart, and body. Of course, the way Paul tells it belies a rather unfortunate dualism between body and spirit, but that should not inhibit us from retelling it in a way in the way that expresses the truth of our common desire with Paul to live integrated lives. Such integration is a prerequisite to living freely. The Buddhist doctrine of non-attachment is a correlate to this living freely. It emphasizes that in moving beyond frantic activity and heavy burdens, we are able to be more fully present in the present moment. In doing so, we are able to bring our full attention to the reality of the here and now without needing to control for every possible future outcome. This is not to say that we should neglect future outcomes. That would be irresponsible. 
It is to say that living freely means freely receiving what comes and offering back the best synthesis of what we receive in gracious generosity. We should not become too attached to what we receive, or we will not be able to offer it back generously. We should also not become too attached to the outcomes we intend in making our offering, as we are never fully in control of these outcomes. We do our best with what we have, and when our best is not good enough, we offer what we have received and what we have offered up to God in penitence and thanksgiving. When living freely, it is very possible that the conditions in which we live, some of which are brought about by other people, will resist our best intentions. In religious and spiritual life, as we work toward living freely, we should not be too concerned when our best intentions cannot be realized. The the religious and spiritual traditions testify that freedom from is an illusion at best and a trap at worst. At the same time, they teach that freedom too is never absolute and is always constrained by the conditions at hand. The generation that so frustrated Jesus frustrated him precisely because they thought that the Messiah would come to bring their freedom from the political, social, and religious oppression of the Roman Empire. The Messiah Jesus, however, came to teach them instead how to live freely under the conditions in which they found themselves, which living, he believed, would eventually restore them out of oppression, as the prophet Zechariah had promised. What does living freely look like? Perhaps we should take our cue from Massachusetts Governor Deval Patrick, who said of the late Reverend Professor Peter Gomes of Harvard Memorial Church, he was the freest man I ever knew. I have quoted Governor Patrick on this on several occasions, and many people have looked at me quixotically. I think that what Governor Patrick meant is that Reverend Professor Gomes lived freely. He cultivated a way of being that allowed him to be fully present wherever he found himself. When he found himself faced with a crisis at Harvard over the status of the community of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students, he calmly stood up, taking up the authority of his revered position, and announced that he was gay. Furthermore, he said that the secret to his ministry of over 40 years at Harvard was ubiquity, ubiquity, ubiquity. Reverend Professor Gomes lived freely, and that empowered him to be fully present in situations where he was wanted, challenging those who said they wanted him along the way, and fully present in situations where he was not wanted, opening up avenues of dialogue toward finding common ground amidst difference. So too, those of us who seek to live religious and spiritual lives seek to live life humbly. Just as freely the adverb is a far cry from the noun freedom, so too the adverb humbly is a far cry from the adjective humble. In our gospel today, Jesus says that he is gentle and humble in heart. But I would submit that the qualifier in heart would indicate that he means that he seeks to live his life adverbially humbly. After all, it would be hard to say that Jesus was entirely humble, riding into Jerusalem as he did on the 
back of a donkey in kingly fashion, fulfilling the words of the prophet Zechariah. This is not what we would associate with a humble person, which is to say one whose entire way of being, one whose life substance is qualitatively humble through and through. To be humble is to be of small stature, to be one who refrains from entering into the fray, to suppress the desire for the better, to say nothing of the best. The problem with being humble is that it holds back the integration we already saw was a prerequisite for living freely, which is also a prerequisite for living humbly. This is precisely the problem with the dualism that Paul sets up by seeking to humble his body that his spirit might be free of sin. The humbled body can never be integrated with the spirit, which is to say cleansed or justified. More than simply being integrated as a prerequisite, however, living humbly also requires recognizing and respecting the integrity of others. Integrity requires deference. To live humbly is to live in such a way that our own pursuit of religiously and spiritually fulfilled lives comes about in concert with the pursuit of religiously and spiritually fulfilled lives by others. At the same time, living humbly recognizes that religious and spiritual fulfillment for any one person cannot come about at the expense of such fulfillment by any other. If my salvation can only come about by the damnation of others, it is not salvation. But also, if the salvation of others can only come about by my damnation, it is not salvation. If the salvation of the mob can only come about by arresting, trying, and crucifying Jesus, it cannot be true salvation. But neither can the salvation of the world come through the killing of the mob, as one disciple set out to do by cutting off the ear of the slave of the high priest. Living life humbly recognizes the integrity of others, and so empowers us to resist that which would oppress us, often as not by submitting to that very oppression. The nonviolent activism of Mohandas Gandhi and Boston University's own alumnus, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., exemplifies what it means to live life humbly. It is in recognizing the integrity of others that Gandhi and King sought to organize those others to resist the attempts on the part of a wider society to oppress them, while at the same time teaching the others to recognize the integrity of the others who made up the wider society. What it means to live humbly is embodied in the three points of Gandhi's philosophy, summarized in E. Stanley Jones' biography of Gandhi, then inspired to King to take up the practices of nonviolence. One, that nonviolence is the method of the strong, not the method of the weak and the cowardly. Two, that it is better to fight than to take up nonviolence through fear or cowardice. And three, that by using the right means, the right result will follow. We should note that the last point is a summary of the principle that religious and spiritual life is concerned with the adverbial character of how life is lived, and that life lived adverbially is the good life, not life lived frantically and overburdened. Now, what is this integrated self that we have been speaking of as a precondition for life lived freely and humbly? It is life lived honestly. If we are to have any hope of the many parts of ourselves abiding together wholesomely, then they must first be acknowledged honestly. 
just as life lived freely is to be distinguished, even opposed to freedom, and just as life lived humbly is to be distinguished, even opposed to being humble, so too life lived honestly is to be distinguished and even opposed to truth. Truth is something that is established and stable for all time. Life lived honestly recognizes that we ourselves are not established and stable, that the way we are now is not the way we always were and is not the way we always will be. Furthermore, the situation of our lives is not established and stable, is not the same now as it always has been and will not be in 10 days either what it is now or will be tomorrow. If truth is once and for all, then living life honestly is a way of being in constant discernment of who we are, who we were, and who we will be in light of ever-changing circumstances. Of course, it is the very instability of living honestly, the very continuous and ongoing cycles of change that gives rise to the adverbial character of religious and spiritual life. All of those nouns and verbs that pervade our speech and our thought about what is most true and good risk making us participants in the very generation Jesus bemoans in our gospel reading today. Take, for example, the extraordinarily vitriolic language all too prevalent on the tips of the tongues of politicians and pundits, to say nothing of friends and family, aimed at Muslims in the Islamic world. Such vitriol can only arise from a clinging to a truth that claims an exceptional character for the United States and a demonic character for all Muslims based upon the actions of a few. Today, in the midst of Independence Day weekend, we would do well to seek to live more honestly. How quickly we forget that the modern Western world of science and technology would not exist except for the rediscovery of Aristotle, transmitted through the Islamic world back into the West during the late Middle Ages. How quickly we forget that the Roman Empire once thought itself exceptional, and now it is dust. Today, in the midst of Independence Day weekend, let us live according to the good news of life lived adverbially. Let us live according to the good news that we can live integrated and wholesome lives when we seek to live honestly with ourselves and each other. Let us live according to the good news that we can live humbly, recognizing the integrity of everyone and everything around us. Let us live according to the good news that we can live freely, even in the midst of the constraints brought about by chance and by the free lives undertaken by integral others. And in living freely, humbly, and honestly, we experience salvation. Clinging to a substantial freedom will leave us conflicted socially. Clinging to a humble nature will leave us conflicted personally. And clinging to absolute truth will leave us ineptly groping about in a constantly changing and complex world. Nouns and verbs are the substance and motion of life, but they are not the fullness and fulfillment of life. For fullness and fulfillment, long live the adverb. Amen.
We welcome you once again here to the Nave of Marsh Chapel and hope that you will take an opportunity to find the red pad found along the center, of aisle, center aisle of each pew and put your name and contact information there so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the week. We do hope you'll join us for the uh, Independence Day barbecue on the BU Beach on the lawn just next to the chapel following the service. And do keep an eye on the chapel website for upcoming services and activities along with the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
We give you thanks, O God, this day for life and work and peace. Now give, bless these gifts and those who have given them to the work of ministry in this place and throughout the world. Amen. Peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father. Peace from His Son, Jesus Christ, who is our peace. Peace from the Holy Spirit, the life giver. The peace of the triune God be always with you. Let us share with one another a sign of peace. As the grain once scattered on the fields and the grapes once dispersed on the hillside are now reunited on this table in bread and wine, so, Lord, may your whole church soon be gathered from the corners of the earth into your kingdom. Amen. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Father, you made the world and love your creation. You gave your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. His dying and rising have set us free from sin and death. And so we gladly thank you with saints and angels praising you and singing. We praise and bless you, loving Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and as we obey his command, send your Holy Spirit that broken bread and wine outpoured may be for us the body and blood of your dear Son. On the night before he died, he had supper with his friends, and taking bread, he praised you. He broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was ended, he took the cup of wine. Again, he praised you and gave it to them and said, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Bring so, Father, we remember all that Jesus did. In him we plead with confidence his sacrifice made once for all upon the cross. Bringing before you the bread of life and cup of salvation, we proclaim his de death and resurrection until he comes in glory. Great is the mystery of faith. Lord of all life, Help us to work together for that day when your kingdom comes and justice and mercy will be seen in all the earth. Look with favor on your people. 
Gather us in your loving arms and bring us with all the saints to feast at your table in heaven. Through Christ and with Christ and in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Grant us peace. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Blessed are those who are called to his supper. Lord, I am worthy, not worthy to receive you.
Let us pray. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace, and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us, so we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name, through Christ our Lord. As we go out this Independence Day weekend, I would remind us that life is short, and we do not have too much time to gladden the hearts of those who walk the way with us. So be swift to love, and make haste to be kind. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit abide and remain with you, now and always. Amen.